Welcome to the 158 Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by the Helping Heroes Heal Foundation. For more information, please visit helpingheroesheal.ca. On today's episode, we have Dave Ward. Dave has since become the fourth and newest member of the 158 Podcast. Dave will be doing some video work for the podcast, as well as co-hosting some of our roundtable events moving forwards. Dave is still active military and also runs an apparel company called Bushwookie. Be sure to check out Bushwookie on Facebook, Instagram, as well as at bushwookie.ca. That's B-U-S-H-W-O-O-K-I-E dot C-A. Thanks and enjoy the episode. So, yeah, that's one of the things we always, one of the rules we always have too is you got to start the podcast right away because you leave part of it <laughs> right here on the floor uh, looking over at Derek going, is this recording? <laughs> so, hey, the audience, th- this is unbelievable. Like, I, I just love that we have such an engaging audience on our Facebook and everything. So welcome to the show, the 158. And this is, uh, this is one of our story episodes. And I want to welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks, uh, man. It's awesome. You know, Sergeant this, Dave Ward. Yeah, I leave Dave my rank Ward. out of that. <laughs> Just Dave Ward from Bushwookie. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's what makes this show so real. Real too is we're we're not sitting here, and you know, no knock against officers and all that, but you know, we're not tucking newspapers under our elbows and having to eat at like at a special dinner here. It's like it's down to the earth operators and and the privates, the sergeants. So that's cool. It, it's good. It's good to you can share that story that if you're worried about ruffling any feathers will we encourage it nice <laughs> yes yeah so uh, let's get this party started yeah yeah so dave and i uh know each other from being on task force 308 i was with the second battalion royal canadian regiment as i mentioned in my episode um dave at the time you were with the argyles that's right uh, in, as a reservist uh maybe for an educational piece for the Civilian listeners, people that may not know, would you mind kind of breaking down how becoming a reservist works? Yeah, for sure. Well, I was pretty young. Like, so I was still in high school. I was 16 years old when I started the paperwork and I had to have my parents consent in order for me to join the military. And it was kind of a pivotal point because it was like, what direction am I going in life? You know what I mean? And joining the military was always a dream of mine. So I managed to get in there, get the paperwork sorted out, and I was sworn in a month before my 17th birthday. And then from there on, you just continue the training that you would do in basically any military organization, but it's kind of broken down into chunks. So I did basic military qualification, which is like your BMQ boot camp. And then uh, I waited till the summer and went away and did two months of uh, infantry specialized training in the summer and then go back to my home unit, which is located in uh, Hamilton, uh, a small city in Southern Ontario. And then from there on, you kind of get bounced all over the place with with contracts if you want to work somewhere or if you want to go on courses, you link up with Red Force Battalions and stuff like that for training. And in order to get to that point where we deployed, I actually came home from a tasking. I had about eight years of service, dedicated service with the reserves. And like, do you want to go overseas? Afghanistan and that was task force 308 and I'm like yeah absolutely I'm in they're like okay you're going with two RCR pack Uh, your bags so to kind of break things down with the reserve end of things because this is something that 
I've been asked from civilian friends too, and you get all the time, I was going to join this and that. And uh, I'm curious what the guidelines are for the reservists because it's not a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Uh, What the commitments are, uh, does that change uh, from unit to unit or is it just a general one standard? That's actually a really good question because I would get, I was so dedicated, like I felt because I was working with reconnaissance units, units, we were training to go to, uh, uh, to the UK and do the Cambrian patrol. So I was there all the time. That was my job. That was my life. I was, you know, I almost dropped out of high school. Thank God I didn't do that. Um, but then there's other people who are going to school. So people that are going to university and stuff like that, they have other priorities as well. Right. So when it came to a parade night, you would see mixed numbers exercises. They always make sure that the reserves have their full numbers so that they can actually do Get that check in the box that okay this unit is good to go with coming out and doing dismounted exercises and drills with reg force and whatnot such as stalwart guardian i think is what they do so um it's the chain of command does get a little frustrated because the numbers do fluctuate here and there when it comes to parade nights and exercises but you know when people are dedicated people have their they, they have two jobs they're doing online schooling and they're still making it up so it's like well, if this guy can make it, why can't you? You know what I mean? It is still the military. It's still a job. If you don't have a legitimate reason why you shouldn't be there, then you need to get your ass down there and start training with the boys and girls. So for you mentioned parade night. Um, I don't know too much about the reserve end of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is an educational piece for me too. Uh, I know that when you say parade night, that there's one dedicated night that you're supposed to be yeah. at the unit, right? That's right. And then is it one weekend a month that you're supposed to be dedicated Minimum. To? Minimum. Yeah. So sometimes like when I was doing the Cambrian patrol, I was training six days a week, right? And then we were training almost two to three weekends a month. So it all depends what's going on in the training schedule, what's going on with now we call it division, which back then was just brigade. And we just, like I said, we just try to get those checks in the box, right? For whatever the requirements are for uh, these reserve units to perform. So in a way it's a little above my pay grade. I just went to, I went down there and I tried to give it my all and that was I, it. Right. So. I got to ask you like from a, I guess a feeling side of it. Cause you're older now, Dave, I feel it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we all draw back, draw back on our own experiences and my time of service, there's not, there's not a declared war happening. It's Cold War, Cold War era. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hit or miss. Probably not likely going to see combat. Mm-hmm. But you're in the reserves. Mm-hmm. And you know like that yeah, what year there's did combat. You join up? So I joined in 2002. So that was a year after 9-11. So that was a pretty big pivotal point. On. But, like, to me, I didn't really... I always wanted to be a soldier anyway. So it was like... The moment I realized I can go to my guidance counselor, get the information there, and join, I was like, I'm in. Like, Afghanistan's not real yet, though. It's not the yep. numbers aren't coming in yet. Like it's real, but it's not the death. It's not to low six when it really starts happening. Yeah, and then there was also that time too because I remember reading a newspaper on the bus to high school. Uh, like there was also Iraq happening at there was a certain spool up after Afghanistan as well. And John Kretschian said that we're not sending. Canadian soldiers to Iraq, right? So I didn't really know what was going on with our military standpoint when it came to deployments and stuff like that until I actually really got into the unit and we were still sending guys to Bosnia, right? So guys were still operational in that 
respect. And then I'm, I'm not exactly sure. It might have been 2004 when we sent our first guys over to Afghanistan. I'm not exactly sure. But what about Africa? Was Africa for you guys too or no? Not that I know of, no. <clears throat> no. So Afghan- Bosnia, Afghanistan. And then there's now there's other operational requirements where troops are out there and assisting other uh, forces and nations and whatnot to make sure that they're good to go with their standard operating procedures and whatnot. And we're also, we're basically like right now, like we're all people just meeting each other for the first time here and then we're working together and then now you're creating that bond with a foreign nation and you know what I mean? It's really good for relationship development and the military perspective. But you're, okay, so I've got to come back to your experience now in going to Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. My experience going to Europe is I'm going through a battle school and I'm with everyone and everyone I'm with, we make it through and we now get posted, get whatever it is deployed over to Europe. You're selected just you out of a unit to go get attached with a, with a regular force unit Mm -hmm. and become part of that unit. There were some guys that we had ones and twos that, yeah, ended up getting attached to battle groups and stuff like that. When I deployed, we had basically two sections worth of Argyles that deployed at one point in time. Some of them did did get separated, but at one point in time, like, yeah, with my platoon attached to Gulf Company to RCR, um, we had basically two sections worth of Argyles attached to RCR. Okay, so you've got some faces you know. and Yeah, can... which I'm lucky, whereas other guys, like they could have been ones and twos. I know one guy in particular, I think he went by himself and attached to PSYOPs. You know what I mean? What, I got to ask you, what's your feeling? Because you're over there, Reg Force, and now you have reservists coming in. So, I mean, that's a, that's a good question too. Uh, and we can touch on that because Dave specifically got attached with our platoon. And I, were you with my section too, I think? I forget. It's over 10 spent, years ago. It's wild. Yeah, yeah. We, we spent time together. And to where I'll, I'll back it up a bit because when, what you're touching on makes me wonder too with the reserves. And you touched on how you can tell that there's some people dedicated, some not. Now you're about to go overseas with a group of guys that possibly may not be as dedicated as you'd want them to be. Is that a concern? I know you're in too, so you can watch what you say here. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. There were, and that's why I'm not going to name drop anybody in particular. But Jesus. there were times where we had, let's say, shitheads. You know what I mean? Shit pumps. Like, and they were they were good soldiers, but like they were they would kind of get into trouble. You know what I mean? And that's, mean. that's the last thing that we want is the spotlight on, especially a reserve unit on a reg force base, getting ready for deployment. Like I took it as serious as possible. And some people didn't. So we got frustrated. And like, there was times where I was probably a little harsher and a little harder on some of these guys because I was like, dude, like this, you're not just representing you, you're representing our unit. You're representing the reserves and you're representing the Canadian flag. Like get your shit together. Like stop fucking around. There were some incidents. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, There were some incidents overseas with uh, some of the, the reservists that were at our camp that I remember, there was a, a shotgun incident with a security <laughs> room. There's yeah, man. Like, I'm not going to touch on that. He knows who he is. <laughs> you know, we, we have that inside joke. Him and I are still friends. But yeah, like when that happened, like I, I was oblivious to it. But especially when my warrant brought it up, like who did this? I'm like, what? 
Because yeah. that's an ND, man. It's a negligence uh, discharge, discharge, right? Like, can, can, can we kind of touch on the, a little bit of the story? Because I don't even know if what I believe is true or not. Okay, you oh, tell me what beautiful. you that's, tell me what is, you got. So what we were told was that okay, let's back it up and let's explain our situation. Two RCR is there with the Canada Provincial Reconstruction Team. That's a golf company. Two RCR. We get an attachment of Argyles who are coming over and they're essentially doing more or less the security at the camp. There was actually a lot of other reserve units. I just want to throw that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott's, yeah, um, yeah. GNSF. Uh, I say Argyles because I know, because I'm from the Hamilton area. So I know the guy, some of the guys and I related to them. So when I think of my tour, I think of them specifically. But yes, there is a bunch of... We'll, we'll change the names to protect... I'm not going to say any names. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. yeah, but yeah, reservists. Uh, we'll just say reservists. Tunes. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so they they're essentially doing our security at our camp is more or less doing some patrolling here and there. Yeah, uh, under the guidance of you guys, like we weren't really allowed to go out unless you guys were there. We did a couple of dismount yeah, patrols, but like if we were, were on we the road, safe, it was with you guys. Unquote. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they were pretty much twelve hours on, twelve hours off in the towers, kind of yeah. thing. Um, those are long days, man. So <laughs> part of that is there's security footage, security cameras within the camp. So there's a security room within mm -hmm. the camp, and mm -hmm. there's someone monitoring it. Falls into these guys doing the security of the base or camp. Um, so we end up getting told, you won't believe this kind of thing, but somebody blasted a shotgun through the security room door and then hit it with a poster, and it wasn't even noticed for like, I forget how long or something. I think it was like, like two months. Yeah. <laughs> and then they finally figured, figured out that someone blasted a hole through the door and they're like, who the fuck was this? It was my warrant who found it because what it was is like everywhere we deployed, there were signs that were written in Pashto and uh, basically describing like this is a search area or uh, restricted areas you're not allowed to go into just so that they knew like because obviously we were working with Afghans that there's a language barrier. Right. So that we did have signs that said that. But what was on that door was this sign that this is a search area before the workers could go in and actually work in the camp. And the guy blew this hole through the steel door. Thank God a Hasco caught that slug. And he decided to take this magnet sign that says this is a search area and just put it over the hole. So the warrant comes over. He's like, why is this sign so low? It picks it up, moves it up. He's like, oh, that's a fucking 12 gauge hole. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. And then the camp just went crazy from there. Like, who yeah. the fuck? NDs, which is negligent discharge, was a big deal, uh, obviously. Yeah. Oh, six, there was a death from that. There, yeah. You know what? People die lot, all the time from it, man. There's a lot more incidents than you would think. People are concerned. People will have a round in the spout in, say, the back of a lab, and that's a huge concern because that round's going to start bouncing. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't know where it's going to stop if it's the triggers pulled mm -hmm. um so that that was one of the stories that i got told about and, and to it sucks because it kind of gives reservists a bad name too because then you're like oh it's a reservist who did it of course kind of thing right <laughs> like that's the unfortunately but it could have been anyone it, it could anyone it happens all the time everybody does man i like so Obviously, me being reserves, I ended up going reg force with uh, the PPCLI, and now I'm back reserves again. And uh, I've seen reg force guys have NDs. It happens. You know what I mean? So there, there was an incident at uh, Wilson. I don't know if you know about this one. So there, there was crew commanders that were swapping out because one was sick. Uh, so someone else was going in and pulled a headset cord in the... <laughs> 
and oh. let off a bunch of rounds over the wall at Wilson. Tell me it was on coax, not 25. I think it was coax. Thank yeah. God. Sending 25 round, 25 mil rounds of yeah, HE no, high explosive. Like, yeah. Bop, bop, bop. yeah. Yeah, no, it was <laughs> that definitely would be not good. But, it, anyways, it, shit happens, I guess, is the realities of war. And, you know, we're all human at the end of the day. We're not robots. But that was a good story. That was uh, where it was like I held on to that for a long time and obviously still remember it. It was <laughs> shot. I don't even know. How do you do that? Just fiddling around? We had an incident actually with uh, Reg Force guys. Um, I forget who it was. I think I know who it is, but I'm definitely not going to say the name. Because, uh, you know, when you're unloading the shotgun, you start pumping it, pumping it, pumping it. And he thought it was done, pulled the trigger, and it was in the maintenance bay. Oh. And it went right over... Oh, someone else's head no. and they're looking there and I wish there was video because it's like right now because he was like oh my god like, <laughs> it's a free haircut yeah, yeah. exactly Just you know scouts. how close that, if you think about it though what you know you're carrying around is those are explosives and they're meant to yeah. kill people and they're loaded and yeah 100 pounds of ammo and grenades and smoke grenades and like it's it adds up fast man it is crazy like, and if you're in the infantry yeah, that's or if you're a gunner, if you're a machine gunner, man, like yeah, I carried the C9 for a bit, M203 for a bit. Yep, when that all gets over 100 pounds. You're walking around in the desert. With. Both of those are like uh, LMG kind of thing. Yeah, uh, LMG is the C9. Yeah, and then uh, the M203 is the grenade, grenade launcher, launcher. Got underneath it. the C7, just a regular rifle. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So let's back up to a little bit of the timeline here. We're jumping all over the place. <laughs> so O2, you get in. Uh, and then things really start ramping up around 2004 to 2006. Obviously, Medusa is a huge turning point. Yes, it was. Uh, <clears throat> what is your take at that time? I mean, you're in for a while and you still haven't gone overseas. So I'm seeing my buddies deploy and it's kind of messing me up a bit because all you want to do is be there with your buddies. Like these are my best friends that I party with, you know, you smoke and joke with like like these are they're my brothers you, you know what i mean and then now they're deploying and there's nothing you can do like that that sense of like hope not hopelessness but like there's nothing you can do like really sucks like you're not and part of it you're practicing with them yeah. but you're not getting to play the game with them well and that too right you're like, supposed to be brothers and teammates at that point exactly too, right? and yeah. then all you can see is like and you know for our parents who watched us deploy like they sit there and they just watch the news like yeah. that sucks man like i i can't imagine what my mom and my dad went through but like for me as a soldier seeing all what's going on in the news um mark graham when when he was killed you know what i mean i did my recce course with him and i remember seeing him on the front page of the hamilton spectator i still have the ad at home you know what i mean like to see his face that he was killed in action with uh, an accidental friendly fire incident um blew me away i was just like you know what i mean so all the the years keep adding up with you know Troops are coming home and you know what I mean, but they're, they're not alive and it sucks. So you have that sense of worrying about your friends. And then when it came to 2008, like I had my eyes set on different things. And one of the warrants came up to me. He's like, do you want to deploy on this road? He's like, this is going to be a big one. We're sending a huge contingent of Argyles. Do you want to go? I'm like, let's do it. So there was a lot of people that are like, really? Like, why are you doing this? What, like, you know, some of the backlash I got from other people outside of the military is like, well, it's my duty. You know what I mean? Like, it's my sense of duty. This is what I believe in. In a city like Hamilton, where, I mean, there's a lot of pride now, I would say, but we're not a really big military town. And especially, it's it's actually an NDP town. 
So and yeah, you're right. That, you're absolutely right. It kind of switched like the supporter troops and stuff. I, it seems like around 06, that's when everyone like when you started seeing faces on the front page news. Then there was a bit of a shift, but I could definitely see how a lot of people would be like, "What are you doing when you're a reservist in a non-military town?" Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially if they're like, "You volunteered for this." Like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, as a reservist, you kind of volunteer for service unless it's war like it's our whole military is volunteer based Let's exactly you're get absolutely that twisted right too right like yeah. uh and if you're reg force i know of guys that have found ways not to go on tour it doesn't mean that they're they're not going to strap you in that plane and force you to go everyone that's there mm-hmm. is willing to go there it's not yep. no one's being forced um so you end up attached with two rcr yep and <clears throat> what was that lead up and what was it like kind of going i mean there's workup training and then there's getting to afghanistan kind of right? so our first initial uh thing was that we ended up going up to petawawa and we were attached to to cer and we didn't really feel very welcomed you know what i mean nothing against that unit but like it was just we that's the truth we didn't really feel very welcomed you know what i mean like um it was really when we attached to golf company to RCR where we felt like, okay, they want us part of their team. Like you guys really brought us in and we were in Wainwright. It was really the first time I met Hamilton and we were like, I can't wait to work with these guys overseas. Like these guys are awesome. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden we get over there. I remember that it was holy hot like wow uh that was something else man that's what i said on my team that's right when you land in mirage and you're like holy fuck and we're gonna be wearing gear you think it was the jets yeah it was you think it was like the jets of the plane that 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 were literally what i said (laughs) and all of a sudden you're walking away from the plane you look up and you see the flags ripping like 30 kilometers an hour full value wind and you're away from the plane you're like no this is the heat i'm like how am i supposed to fight in this man like this is crazy like i was soaked yeah, without, without gear without on, gear, too. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. But then by the time we actually got to Afghanistan, like, it was, like, 10, 15 degrees cooler. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> but uh, actually linking up with you guys was a treat, man. It was, like, we couldn't have asked for a better group and uh, company to serve with, man. It was an absolute honor to work with the RCR. And, like, all of you guys, like yourself and other guys that we serve with, I consider as family, man. Like, you guys took care of us, and I appreciate it. And we all do. We all appreciate it. Well, it's it's a give-and-take relationship, for sure. It's unfortunate that you felt that way with uh, CER, but um, I, it's it's a team thing, right? It's yeah. like sports. If you're not going to trust in each other and depend on each other, then you're not going to succeed, I don't think. Um, but I, I, I could see how certain units may feel like what are these guys doing here kind of thing like would or do we not have this on our own but for our situation we're such a small group with pretty much a big area of responsibility mm-hmm. and a lot of different like doing qrf alone was mm-hmm. a lot of responsibility so i couldn't imagine having to do those things and then do the security on top of it i mean you came out to the fobs with us and we had to do some security at msg yeah like it it definitely adds up like you know, you get less downtime, yep. less uh, recreational time, if you want to call it that, like yep. working out and stuff. So yep. it makes a huge difference. You know, you forget about that. Like, okay, it's not like you just go out and patrol. Well, someone's got to look after what you're leaving. Yeah, like the, the base and yep. yeah, it's all? home. That yeah. that that is your home. Just like as if here you go out to work, but then you feel comfortable when you're home. You can put your feet up. It's a completely different scenario. You're not always that comfortable, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's the same thing. Like you hope that whoever is taking care of your house, you're going to get back and feel comfortable walking back in. And that's what you guys were there for. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I do want to say one thing about 2CER just because it's like, oh man, that guy's bashing us. I'm not, I'm not trying to bash. There's a couple of things. A, like during that time before like reserves were attached to Reg Force, like from my perspective, it was just like, there was a little bit of like the, um, not discrimination, but it was like the commitment. They, they, they didn't feel that there was that commitment. And I even, it took me a couple of years to kind of prove myself when I went to battalion, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, you're a quick pick. That was a thing, right? You're a quick pick, like whatever. You didn't actually do battle school. So I had to prove myself. Right. And, but we did have, uh, two CR EOD, um, personnel, they, they expose bombs and they get rid of them and make sure that the area is safe. We had those two CR guys that worked out of our camp and they were absolutely phenomenal they made kandahar city safe they, they did are you talking about the big jack guy oh yeah he's huge i, I got i okay sorry. i got so i got to jump in and defend the engineers just from all my engineering buddies they just come across as uh as like like they're not they're not friendly and all that but come on we all got engineer buddies they're all so introverted they're just so shy and like thinking it just, you just and it's a type personality people too <laughs> yeah. right so you got infantry you, and engineers it's too oil i hold water. nothing against them or anything like i think it was there was tr- no matter what like whatever you come across look at it as a lesson like some what did you learn from this situation you know what i mean like whether if it was good or bad did you learn something did you take something from this otherwise what was the point really right so i i learned a lot from them and there were obviously guys i did get along with so i can't label them all it was just and that situation too and and there's so much overturn in the military especially during that time so there even within battalions i would say that it was hard to come in and feel fit like you were fitting in like new guys coming in i felt bad for them when we got back from overseas because we were a wreck like drunk high just mm-hmm. distraught Fighting. yeah like going out getting and these new guys who are like coming in really proud canadians doing their duty and they're like what the fuck did we just walk into <laughs> like, yeah. this is not what i was expecting and then we're going like you guys fucking don't know what you're you're walking into man and it's like you're almost like you don't want to get close to them too because you don't know what's going to happen and it's just that whole time was a weird situation too i think it within our canadian forces absolutely well that was like it realistically like it was just over 11 years ago that you guys sent home Kerwin jones and hamilton you know what i mean like you guys lost your friends your close friends like i was lucky i didn't lose any argyles you know what i mean if i lost argyles i would be in a different mindset coming home you know what i mean and still coming home was difficult for me because you're in a room with nine guys of your close friends and then you go home and now you're in your room by yourself and the silence is deafening man so like i would go to the bars and you I'm- know uh, dave thank you that is a big deal and that started in back in 92 at the medak pocket reservists start getting used but matt goes home to a regiment and the guys are still there for support you go back to a regiment where it's different guys like it's not the same people that were that you were around the whole time. I'm not Honestly. showing up Monday morning to do PT with these guys. I'm gonna wait till Wednesday to come down for three hours to do whatever training it is. You know, yeah, mom, mom, dad, and brother and sister don't understand what you're talking about. I'll 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 put a it, little it spin on that though for you guys too because I get where you're what you're, where you're going with that train of thought. But when we get back, we aren't going to work right away. No, there is a month. You have yeah, and then when you come back, guys are getting shipped out left, right, and center. We're not all still together. And uh, the, like, it, it's not what you're thinking. It's not. It's completely different. And then on top of that, 
I'm not home. I don't have the people that I don't get to go to my family. I'm in New Brunswick. Yeah. And the military owns me. And even if I only have half days of work, they're not going to say, yeah, go ahead, go home, spend time. And that's where a huge problem lies too, right? Yep. So have some drinks and play Xbox. Well, that's the thing. Like if I'm having a bad day, it's like, uh, let's go out for a beer. Well, a beer doesn't just stay at one beer. And <laughs> no, not with us. It's part of our culture. Yeah. Right? So. And, it, and you can obviously see where the snowball effect happens right there. Um, but yeah, uh, I'd like to jump back to you. You, you brought up, the December 13th incident. Um, do you remember that day? I mean, I'm sure you probably I was on it. leave. So I was actually in New Zealand when I found out the news guys sent me a message on Facebook and they're like, yo, we just lost three of our guys. It was an IED and it blew them up. And I got more detail when I showed up and when I landed, they're like, you're attaching to this platoon and you're going to Massengar. Okay. So that is where we ended up. So it's interesting because I was telling these guys, Jurgen and Derek, um, that once I, it clicked again who you are, I was like, <laughs> shit, I remember him coming in and I remember trying to do everything that I could to make him feel as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that I mentioned when I spoke on my episode where it's like new guys are coming in and I know that feeling of being the new guy attached to this big group and it's uncomfortable. And you don't know if guys are going, am I viewing me as filling their shoes or right? That kind of mentality. And and to be perfectly honest, Dave is not the same Dave that he was then when I first met him because he was very, and I totally get it. He was a little standoffish and shy almost, but, but it was probably more not knowing what the atmosphere was at first. Playing with big boys now, right? So Yeah, you don't want to fuck up. Yeah. No, like this is my life, their life, everybody's life, and obviously the Afghan's life too, right? Like I was there to do my job and I wanted to actually make people's you, lives better you were fucking pumped to go outside the wire <laughs> so that's a funny story so our first patrol from Massengar, like when i was in new zealand all i wanted was lobster and i could never get lobster when i was down there so we were in Massengar, and we had these uh uh sealed bags of lobster tails i don't know if you remember that and i ate 14 of them and you <laughs> Matt says to me, he's like, hey, man, you're going to shit your pants tomorrow on that patrol. <laughs> really? Like, in my mind, I'm like, I, I feel fine. And now I'm like, all night, I can't sleep. Because I'm like, oh, God, I, I hope I shit before we go, oh, man. Oh, sorry, dude. I didn't know. That's, I have some funny, like, first time outside the wire stories with guys, oh, for sure. fuck. Oh, that man. is so true, too, because it's playing on your mind. Like, oh, was you're there, probably like, nervous a foot patrol too, the next day? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, what if I got a shh? So yeah, the way that it works, so I'm sure that was another shock for you too. I mean, it's going from CNS to going out to the FOBs was completely different. At Absolutely. CNS, we were treated so phenomenal. We had people coming in, changing out the shitters. So, we had an amazingly clean... Can I clean stop you? CNS is Camp Nathan Yes, that's yes. right. And FOB is like a remote... Forward, forward operating base. Yeah. And okay. this one in particular is is one referred to as MSG. Yeah, Massimgar, but very well known as MSG as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... So Camp Nathan Smith, like it's, you're treated like gold uh, there. You can get food whenever you want. There's a hockey rink, ball hockey rink, a nice gym. Yep. And then, so MSG was a good fob. I slept with my pistol right by my head. Let's just put it that way. So yeah, I'll (laughs) give it a could get overrun there. Oh, yeah, oh, easily. So I'll break well, down kind of what MSG is. It, it did have good security. Obviously, once I found out later, but I mean, like, because we had tanks, call signs there, but I slept with my pistol right by my head, like, 
Not so where we stayed on that on that fob was not technically a part of MSG. We were in like a little hut hole. that had been taken over. Yeah, a little hole on the side of a mountain. Um, <laughs> so we did our own security at night. And then the gate there was pretty much like a piece of tin that you could look through the crack and see the little village that was right there. And there would be pot, pot shots all the time coming from that yep. area. And Two Tank Hill would yep. get shot at. Uh, which is really close by and they didn't really take care of us there <laughs> so there we had to cook our own meals and stuff yeah. our shower we had like a i think we had it a, was a hose it was just a little hose it was the coldest shower i ever had in my life it was terrible, we, did, we it was, wouldn't let you have a shower i'm sure in the afternoon when it started to heat up a little bit from the sun <laughs> no, no, so no, i really, was waiting <laughs> i always had to wait until it was like one o'clock in the morning or something it was <laughs> freezing <laughs> Yeah, so that that I'm sure that was a culture shock for you too, and then and then now it's like we're doing these dismounted patrols too, and we're well, going through actual villages and stuff. And well, let me touch on that and the fact that like I did dismounted patrols in Kandahar City. It's a little different because it's a really tight urban area compared to like Massengar. Like yeah, there's small villages and stuff, and it has its urban areas as well. But the people in Kandahar City were fairly receptive to us because we actually, I believe that we made their lives a lot safer, especially with the EOD teams and stuff like that and the QRF going out there, reacting and making sure that they can now develop their lifestyle, right? You go to Massengar, I remember seeing chalk on the walls of them shooting uh, labs with RPGs. Like there's drawings of them attacking Canadian soldiers. So like we, uh, when I first saw that, it was the first hundred meters into this patrol. I'm like, oh yeah, we're definitely not welcome. So <laughs> yeah, it, yeah was, it was definitely a different atmosphere there too. And we had, so the interpreters would have uh, kind of like walkie talkie that would pick up other walkie talkies and stuff in the area. And a lot of the time when we would go on patrols in that area, the interpreter would start saying things like, oh, I'm getting chatter saying the Canadians are here set up rpk whatever um rpgs and we get that and then try and figure out where they're at and we would always try and go around that area yeah um which in itself is kind of frustrating too because you want to be like let's go fucking get these right guys. through the area yeah. yeah yeah you but that's not technically our job we're there with uh civilian contractors that are go we're going into the villages as part of the provincial reconstruction team and we're finding out if they need wells Bridges. So we're yeah. pretty much just the security, security for these civilian contractors with the engineers. Absolutely. But it's in the infantry's blood to be like, let's go play pokey chess right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, they're over there. Let's go do an advance of contact and see if they want to play games. So we weren't necessarily in a combat role. Our role was force protection. Basically, we would set up this cordon and keep everybody safe on the inside. So whether if we had one of our lead elements that wanted to speak to a village elder, we'd set up this perimeter so that they can talk and stuff like that and find out information if there is any threats in the area, like how is your livelihood and whatnot? Is there any concerns? And then we obviously tried to make their lives a little bit better. We did a lot of food drives. We did school supplies, built wells. Like, But realistically, our role was just security. Make sure that those guys can actually do their jobs. Do you remember the school? But right there's outside? bad guys out there with weapons oh, yeah. shooting. But you don't know, man, because it's not a conventional military. You don't really see them. They, they know what they're doing. They're, they've been fighting war since Alexander the Great, man. Like, do you, you don't underestimate them. Were you with us when we went to the the uh, police station the jail yep speaking of alexander the great yes and that's so if you go back i forget what year 07 maybe they drew drove a 
uh, vehicle borne improvised explosive device through the gate of this jail. Sir, pose a prison. Yeah, and blew it open and freed a whole bunch of Taliban. And then shortly after that, we're there doing some security at that. And I remember looking, I'm standing right over the gate. And I forget who it was, but the sergeant comes over and he's like, just so you know, that's where they blew up. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, look over there. And there was a huge hole carved out in the side of a mountain. And that's where Alexander the Great used to do his uh, speeches and stuff. Wild. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Why, do you remember that? I do. Yeah. And I remember Sarposa Prison and seeing that hole because we got there shortly after that incident happened. And the shrapnel that this explosion created because it was a big fuel tanker uh truck and i got funny stories about that too actually so stand by um (laughs) so just the shrapnel of the wall itself like i i've got a picture of my section commander sitting on this boulder that is approximately two and a half feet high three and a half feet wide and that was part of the wall this wall was absolutely massive and they blew it like as if it was like a hollow door with a 12 gauge man like they we, they we gotta get that it. picture so we can put it up when this gets released. yeah we'll just black his eyes out but <laughs> so since that happened we're going to Sarapoza prison this is my first mechanized patrol so i'm the driver of an rg31 we got all this information about Sarapoza prison and these fuel trucks blowing up being vehicle borne uh improvised explosive device vbids and uh my we make a, a left turn out of the camp and there was a whole street full of these trucks and that's do you remember every single night we would get like a, a debriefing on threats and it would be like at camp nathan smith every single night uh white camry is going to drive through the gate and blow up yeah every yeah, yeah. single night and then every single night you would also get like uh, look for a white Toyota Camry way down in the back in the trunk. Yeah. Uh, I'm if pretty you sure that was our wheels. interpreter. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you see the the hubs, like the wheels and the trunk lowered, then right. it's probably an IED, a vehicle-borne IED. Right. Well, yeah. you know how many fucking white Toyota Camrys are, or yeah. Corollas or whatever yeah. they were? With, with every, rear suspension? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. every fucking right. vehicle yeah. is. If it's yeah. not a jingle truck, it's these vehicles that they're telling us every single night to be on the eye for it. Plus, it's going to drive in and blow up our camp. I heard interpreter at the time, he had a a very similar car. And I think he just had, like, the back of his trunk full of, like, stereo equipment or something like that. (laughs) It was just full, you know what I mean? So, like, it's like, man, you realize your vehicle is kind of like a target, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Just for questioning. Like, curiosity, though, uh, I would have no idea. How much do you trust these interpreters? (laughs) Yeah, okay. Because, like... yeah, I mean, I we that. had them, so at, at MSG... We had some really good ones. Yeah, we okay. did actually have some really good ones. A lot of them end up coming over here. Um, so part of them being an interpreter is so that they can get the fuck out of there. Got yeah. it. Um, okay. So I a lot of them that. are really well educated as well. Some of them went to school in Michigan. Like, I've just yeah. talked to them. Like, some of them are fairly educated. More but, education than I have. But so. there are definitely some shady ones. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like they, And to be perfectly honest, like, after we lost the boys... Um, it didn't matter after that it was kind of like for us personally um it was like fuck everyone kind of thing don't trust anyone mm-hmm. uh perspective change but at msg we had them like sleeping with us and stuff like yep. yeah i mean so you They're do part of the team right so. yeah as much as i joke that you don't um you can definitely grow a bond with specific ones sure, and, yeah. and accept them in and you want to hope that they have your best interests and they're not i mean if you go back in history too they so over in places like afghanistan and iraq 
they use big speaker systems. So every praying time, they're over the speaker systems. Well, I believe it was the U.S. was somewhere, and over the speaker systems, the U.S. guys thought it was prayer, but it was really them saying, like, go hide your children, go hide the women, set up here, the Americans are here, so on and so forth. Well, if you you have a good interpreter, they're going to let you know that, obviously. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's... And there's, there's proven videos and stuff like that. You could probably even look on YouTube of an interpreter not get, being truthful to the, the American forces of what, you know, the, there's a village elder who is actually giving them information about Taliban in the area. And this interpreter is saying like, yeah, he wants food and water and blah, blah, blah. So this interpreter is trying to get this village good things, but he's actually not being truthful about the, the possible threats that are actually out there. So mm -hmm. it is a... A very difficult situation when you're a, a conventional military you're rolling around in labs like we are definitely like outsiders and you're trying to develop this rapport with people who can necessarily their hand is forced right like so you could have a truthful loyal interpreter but all of a sudden there's a thing called night letters and what it was is they received this letter in the middle of the night from the Taliban saying like if you work another day with these coalition forces, you know, with NATO, we're going to kill your entire family. You know what I mean? So, like, they don't have really much, like, it's it's tough for them, man. Like, so that's a psychological warfare right there. You know what I mean? Like, so... I've, heard of, I've heard of that, the night letters. They, and, there's a lot of other issues, too, that come with war and, uh, it like, incidental incidents. Like, I'm pretty sure we had an incident outside MSG where we were in there, we were, everything was good, we were helping them out, and then... I want to say like the next day or two days later we went back in and uh a uav took out i think it was two teenage boys or something like that and obviously that kills communication right right there right yeah so yeah um yeah, and that's the thing like so if you shoot the wrong person even though you're like <clears throat> almost positive that this person's a threat and that person was not a threat you're gonna have that entire community come top one down on you man and that you can't afford that you know what i mean like we're gonna get back to dave's story in just one second but first, we'd love to tell you all about the Helping Heroes Heal Foundation. The 158 Podcast is proud to partner with the Helping Heroes Heal Foundation. Helping injured and ill first responders, veterans, and military members. Helping Heroes Heal Foundation unites and empowers our nation's heroes through their favorite activities, sports, and adventures. Learn more about how they can support you or how you can lend your support to the foundation by visiting them at helpingheroesheal.ca. There's a couple of situations where I was on a dismounted patrol and I'll never forget this day. I don't think I had more of a steady hand with my rifle ever. And this car was driving towards us and I had my fire team partner beside me, trust him with my life to this day. Are you and on Are you on the road or are you down there? We're on the road. So I've got this massive wall to my left and we got this huge ditch on the right. So we're, we're like isolated. We're now, it's a choke point realistically coming around this bend. So now I've even got my call sign tucked around me and they don't see what I see. And I've got two Afghan security guys in front of me telling this vehicle to stop and he's not stopping. So I'm like, I've radio up to my warrant. This is what's going on. He comes up and... I remember looking through my site and man like this guy had such an angry face on him he, had, he was like white knuckling his steering wheel and i'm like this guy's gonna kill us and just before that this dog comes running towards us i'm like okay do i shoot this dog like i don't know what to do and then the dog ran away i was like holy crap okay now my adrenaline is up 
and this vehicle is not stopping the Afghan security is telling them to steer away, stop, turn around, blah, blah, blah. Now we're in tan, so we're kind of blended in, right? And if you think about it, they don't really have medical uh, like we do, obviously, right? So what happened? Like I, I had my bead on them. Like I had my optics on them. I, like I, I got the green light from my chain of command. Like if you need to take the shot, take the shot. And I drew a line, imaginary line on the wall down the road to the ditch, being like, if he passes this and blows up, we're dead. So I'm like, I got to make sure that he doesn't get to that line. So I take my weapon off safe and I'm like, so steady, man. My post is like right underneath his chin. And all of a sudden his face just went into pure shock and surprise. He's like, eyes wide open. He, you could tell he went, he almost went white as a ghost because he was terrified. Rips a shit. He turns around, does a U-turn and drives away. And the first thing that came to my mind, I put my weapon on safe and I'm like, that guy probably needs glasses. You know what I mean? Like those people mm -hmm. don't have glasses and that type of privilege that we have in those things that we have day to day, right? So you gotta be careful, man, because if I sent a round down range and I killed that guy, that would have probably just terminated all previous efforts that we did in that city. That whole, the, their intelligence level is nowhere close to ours either. I mean, they're, you know, when you think of like someone quote unquote out to lunch, like that's pretty <laughs> normal there, right? Like they're not, they're not at the same level as us. Like you could be- the same education. Yeah, but, I mean, and they're like- Well, it's could, a different survival. Yeah, 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 for yeah, sure. Yeah. And they have their ways of doing things. Like Af Afghanistan was a different way of living before the Russians got there, right? Like apparently, like Kabul, you could actually tourist. It was a tourist attraction. Music right? and like, yeah, it was all different. Fashion, yeah, and, you know what I mean. It's no, it was no longer like that when we got there. They were under some serious laws, and the people were fairly suppressed in in ways and. Um, yeah, when you're trying to come in there with your democratic lifestyle and try to make their lives better, some people are going to push back. It's 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 tough, man. Like I, I feel bad that we left. I feel that we should have never left. I feel like we could have continued doing good things there. And uh, I had a lot of respect for the locals, and I wanted to do more for them. I, I, I wanted to stay, personally. I want you to tell me something funny about tour. Something funny about tour. Yeah, I mean, like, I, okay, so, like, the, we've been pretty serious here. I mean, I could tell you stories about guys jacking off beside me, stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> we talked about MSG. I mean, the shitter was, like, overflowing, but you still went in there. If you went with your laptop, you knew someone was going to jack off in that shitty porter potty. Uh, there was a lot of dirty stuff like that going on that's just funny but is it one of those ones where you burned the you had to burn the no, shit? no no it's like an actual it's like a porta potty here do you remember okay. the one on msg like a, like a blue rock it was yeah. fucking disgusting <laughs> it was yeah and it's so hot you go in there and oh. it's like over full of shit so to get a little background here on our accommodations <laughs> at msg was one giant room with bunk beds and so and you're there with your sleeping bag and if there's guys jacking off and you're just kind of you put in your headphones and shit i don't know if you experience or remember any of that stuff but the way i i, I the way we did business was <laughs> oh, clean, clean it up a little bit here right? yeah so yeah we uh, would, that's crcrs for you yeah. there's no chickens there we would just put <laughs> we would put taking five on the door so after a long day 12-hour shift I would run back to the room and like put slap that sticker on the door, taking five. All of a sudden, my buddies are right behind me, right? 
are you fucking kidding me, Wardle? Like, we just got off ship. You're jerking <laughs> yeah. off. And they're like, sorry, guys. Yeah. So I would just do that to kind of bug them once in a while. But then there was one point in time where there was a bunch of my guys that are away on R&R. Like, they're they're on their leave to in foreign countries and stuff. And there was only a couple of us in our room. And a couple of them were on shift. I broke my ankle overseas. So, like, I was basically slotted to do just camera room like i had to do the internal security or whatever and just kind of watch some cameras so i had my own schedule that was set for me and so i'm in my room that was like for nine guys and i'm ready to tug one out and i look over at my wife man i hope my mom doesn't hear this <laughs> <laughs> uh, i look over and one of my buddies end up getting this blow-up doll for uh, for like a package, a care package or whatever. He got this mail to him and I'm like kind of tugging oh, it out and I'm looking over at this blow-up doll. I'm like, should I? <laughs> like, all of a sudden I'm like, you know, this is like six months overseas and I'm like, that thing's starting to look a little attractive and I'm like, don't do it, man. If anybody comes in the room sees you pushing a balloon, like that's going to be bad. <laughs> but it, it came close. Uh, do you remember any other like routine stuff or... Just in general, like, funny shit that was going on over there. Do you, like, we had guys that were, like, playing Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know if you had any guys like video that. Video games? We uh, had video games. We had Xbox. Our, our big thing for my guys is we were always in the gym. That was... Yeah, the, we were always beasting, too. Right? So... Yeah. Even at Massengar, you had a gym? Uh, it, was it was a, a little shitty, shitty one. one. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the, we shared it with uh, some of the Af- A&A, Afghan National Army, I think, was... Yeah. We shared it with them. Um, like wait, wait, and I, and shit or what? pretty much. I got something. Can you like you're there? Can you get hash or weed off the? Oh, yeah. they 100%. offered it all the time, man. And I'm pretty sure some of my guys smoked it. And I was like, "There's no." You're still in, Dave. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm not saying names, man, but I'm not. I'm gonna be truthful on the fact that, like, I'm pretty sure some guys, like, whether if they're telling the truth or not, I don't know. Like you're cutting out there. a lot of middlemen. You're getting it right from the source. Yeah. <laughs> but they said that they did it. And I was just like, well, how was it? And they're like, it was all right. You know, some guys like, oh man, I was high, whatever. I have friends who are on different rotos who said they smoked a joint on top of a, a building in the middle of a firefight. Like people, yeah. people did it, man. You'd be hyper aware. Like I was, it'd be wicked, wouldn't it? Or you'd be super <laughs> no, thanks, fucking paranoid. Yeah, <laughs> like, sitting in nothing. the corner with your yeah. rifle. Like what the fuck yeah. am I doing here? <laughs> I didn't drink or do anything like that. Like I wasn't yeah, my thing. Like we had guys with uh, packages that would get sent and I'm not going to say names either, but you, you get like Oreos, Oreo cookies. And then like the last row would have like single shots. So like over there, were you there for Christmas? Or yes, were you still I was on? there for Christmas. Okay, yeah. so you get your two beers with for Christmas. But then there's guys who won't drink. Like, I was working out all the time. I'm like, what the fuck do I want with two beers? Here, have my two beers. Yeah. Um, so then some guys are, like, drinking, like, six beers, eight beers. You've been overseas, eating healthy, fit, mm-hmm. haven't been drinking, and then you drink six tall boys. Yeah, you're toast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And toast. There's, and then, like... Yeah, it's 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 interesting the things that go on over there. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the black Afghan hash you got access to. Yeah, of course the pothead <laughs> is thinking about the hash. Well, you know what's funny because I'm I chew tobacco. I love chew, and I'm actually chewing right now as we speak. And uh, there's a local gas station that I usually fill up at, not too far from where I work. And uh, there's a, it's run by an Afghan, and I'm getting chewing. He's like, oh, you want to try this? He's like from Afghanistan. I'm like, no that will that's the strong stuff man and like what it was it's like a dark green looking powder 
man, like, oh, man, I'll put you on your ass. <laughs> like, I don't know how many chewers are out there. I know it's a big thing in the military, but, like, Afghan chew, like, some people said they tried that, and they were, like, it put them down, man. What about, like, like did you guys get that from the market or anything? I didn't chew or anything when I was over there. So. No, I didn't. The only thing I really, I, I bought so many things for people at the markets, and I never bought myself anything. Like, oh, wow. No. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did the same thing. Like, but I got my parents' stuff, so eventually it's mine, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything checked through security? Like, if I want to come back with a couple of keys of anything? Okay, so oh, let, me, yeah. let me kind oh, of yeah. run things down for you. So... With us, RCR is not, uh, they're very like by the book. I'll give you an example of stories that I have heard from another <laughs> infantry uh, regiment that the CQ typically gets sea containers sent back and forth, right? So those sea containers will typically get pushed through, I guess, or you, I don't know what happens, uh, but I've heard of like dismantled AKs coming back. Sweet. Not saying it's true. I'm not saying it's true, uh, I, but and I've heard of like like little mopeds coming back. I've heard of um, boot polish being full of hash coming back. Um, I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, guys are crafty, man. Like they're gonna do whatever they do, man. Like because you got to think about. It. There's guys who went overseas, did their time, and got out. So they're like, oh, this can... is my last tour. I don't give a fuck. This is my last stint. I'm gonna. I'll take care of my pension. Right, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna have some fun with this as well, right? And and let's not beat around the bush. That's part of this podcast is being very blunt, and this is the reality behind the scenes stuff. Um, it shit's been in the news before. Look at the Navy. Navy's been busted with guys going and getting tons of coke from wherever they're getting it from and trying That's to get it back crazy. and getting busted. Right, like it's been in the news. Yep. It's not. This is reality. It's shit happens and. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back that I was a fairly good boy. Because I was, I didn't see it. You know what I mean? I didn't I, fraternize. I didn't do any of that. So stuff, that's so. I, it, it, that's what I'm saying. With the RCR, it was like, I, and even at Camp Nathan Smith, like, you're blousing your boots. Yep. Uh, are you wearing white socks? You're, <laughs> like, your buttons are done up. It's like, I understand that that's what you're used to back in Canada, but we're the ones actually going outside the wire. Like, if I'm going to die, let me die comfortably, at least, like... Um, so that that's how the royals seem to be is more straight and narrow but well the, i deployed with the pp i was just gonna say well. now things are about to change aren't they because you're gonna now go reg force yeah so when i came so home you're a cowboy yeah oh man best choice i ever made man like even though i had some like things with there was some maybe personal issues i still love the regiment like I, and I'm very thankful that they accepted me and uh, I had a really good career there. I was there for seven years. Which I, regiment's this? Uh, First Battalion PPCLI. Okay. So the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Uh, great regiment. Same with the, the RCR Royal Canadian Regiment and uh, the Van Dues. Love all of them. You know what I mean? I have respect for all these units. I did get the opportunity to deploy again because when I came home from my first tour, I just didn't feel like I fit in. Like I, I, I was... I wanted to continue to soldier, so I signed my contract, moved out west. I even bought a house. I even left the house behind. And so wait, now, like, I, you go to battle school, or they're saying you don't need to do battle school? You're no, right to I kept all my qualifications. Okay. Yeah, so because that was one, it was a direct transfer. That's why they called me a quick pick, because I had this deployment, and I just basically walked in as a corporal. It was funny, too, because I... Uh, being in a Highland regiment at that time, like I have a Glengarry, it's not a beret. Stand so, out. Yeah, totally, right? So now I'm like, 
I need to wear a beret, but I'm like, I have nothing to put on my beret because the cat badge with the Argyles is like three and a half inches wide. I'm not putting that on a beret. So I ended up showing up to battalion with a beret and a cornflake and corporal chevrons on. <laughs> People are looking at me like, who the fuck is this guy? Oh, yeah. Stolen Valor! <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> okay. okay, so I wanted to, I was going to say on. before, I, with going back to the quick pick thing, so when we got back from overseas, we had reservists jump in. So I'm a private still, just got did tour, literally carried guys off the battlefield that aren't coming home alive. And we had guys that were coming over from reservist units. I want to say it was in Nova Scotia. And, and they're coming over as corporals and getting advanced promoted mass corporals. Um, and then you start talking to the guys and nothing against them personally, it's the system. Yep. Um, and it's like, okay, so like, what's your experience? Well, you know, I like did my thing in the reserve unit. So like, hey, do you know what a lab looks like? No. Have you been in the back of a lab? No. And you're about to leave me. <laughs> so yeah, it's right. like, that's, that's where a bit of that disconnect I think comes from too. And it's, it's not a personal thing, but that's why you start, you see that, that friction of like reg forest versus reserves. It's just... There's a, and within the military, you get told one standard, but it's not one standard. Reality is there's so many different standards yeah. everywhere you go. So. One's going home at night. The other's not. It's so many different avenues. I mean, PPCLI and RCR, the way that they operate. I personally believe the PPCLI are way more about soldiering at the end of the day. And the RCR are more about the, maybe you could say administrative end of things. Well, I would say more in the fact that you guys are strict. Like your your drill is sharp, your dressing department sharp, your drills are sharp. Like you're all around sharp unit. You know what I mean? Whereas Patricia is like a drill is shit. Soldiering's know? fucking bang on. I would them. like to. I'm very proud of the PPCLI and the way they soldier, man. Like when it came to their officers, like I was blown away on how professional these officers were and how effective they were. They were like they blew me away. Like I, I really, I'm proud that I got to work with such a organized professional group of dudes and then when it came to like hanging out having beers they were just dudes you know what i mean it was yeah you could turn it off yeah it's kind of cool yeah that that is not a royal thing you take it for granted (laughs) having been in it like just going okay i assume that's how everything yeah you'd be a corporal and you smoke a joint in front of your sergeant all of a sudden you're standing before the sergeant major the next morning (laughs) well that was a huge thing too like overseas we kind of like the royals from my experience we cut all that aside and it was about soldiering while we were overseas but that switch flipped real fucking quick when we got back and from what i'm told and the guys that we know it's like that that mentality stuck uh when you got back from overseas it's like that cohesion stuck you guys are boys you're family and it stays tight-knit it's not like that that authoritative up the ladder up the chain down the chain kind of thing it's like we're all in this together yeah that's that's my experience and you you so, Dave, you deployed back to Afghanistan for another tour. I did, yes. And then now you're with one PPCLI. That's right. So I ended up component transferring to the Reg Force, went to 1st Battalion PPCLI. Uh, those guys at that point in time, that battalion was over on 309. So, like, there was only one company left back, and that was Bravo Company. That was Party Company, man. Like, it was it was so much fun. All, all the people that didn't pass their drug tests and getting in trouble? Is I'm that not the... going to speculate on that. <laughs> I'm just saying that there was a group of guys that didn't deploy. There was also a lot of new guys from DP1s and stuff like that. And you still have to have a chain of command there as well in order to make sure that these guys are showing up for work and shit, right? Doing PT for when duty calls. Mm-hmm. So... 
that was good. And then they, they ended up standing up that company for Task Force 111. And that's when things really started to spool up again. Like now I've got a load of experience with the Argyles. I've got this load of experience with the RCR, 2RCR. And then now I'm deploying as a signaler, platoon signaler for my platoon. And it was hands down one of the greatest force decisions I ever had. And it allowed me just to progress that much faster. I just felt like now I left the reserves. Now I'm part of this reg force battalion. It, it just, I felt like the learning curve just kept going up and up and up. And it was. So you're in a rifle company. Yeah. Yeah. What were you? Where yeah. What company? Bravo company. Okay. Bravo. Were, yeah. you, were you with us? That buddy was in Delta on that tour, I believe. Was that the uh, oh, uh, 2010 tour? 309. Yeah. Delta company. So shortly after those guys came home, sadly that, it, they weren't disbanded for disciplinary issues. It was just kind of shuffling back. There were guys who were in Delta Company coming back from 309 and then redeployed with me on 111. So that's what so, I was saying too. With like, that so was, you get back and you're not all together. Everyone starts getting split up. It doesn't well, stop. The momentum with the Reg Force does not stop. Like training, workup, tours. Big oh, the big, yeah, I was gonna say, going to say. Keeps though. You keeps don't mean anything, shouting. Private Especially Anderson. during those times when it was like, it was. I remember on our tour, that was the first time since I think World War One or two that all three RCR battalions, or all four RCR battalions were together, three or four, I forget which one it was, but it was like a historic moment. And then I actually put in a memo because I think one RCR was coming right back and they were short on guys. So I put in a memo saying, like, I know that Steve, my, my buddy Steve, he put in a memo too saying, let us just stay. Like, <laughs> I just wanted to stay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it doesn't stop going. There's just... And, and they were so thin on numbers at that time too, just completely overrun. Yeah. So what was one one eleven? What was the what was the mission at that time? Realistically, like so, my task was force protection. Again, so our uh, company was force protection, and it was it was a very short tour. So like when we deployed our tour, we were like. Operation seven and a half months. This one was only four and a half. It was kind of a closed down tour. So we did our missions. Thank God I was a signaler. So I did get outside the wire a lot more often because uh, I was always with the platoon commander. I was basically close protection for him, which was awesome. Uh, so we, we were basically going to all these fobs and basically grabbing all the Canadian gear from there, the sea containers and shipping them back to Canada. That was our role. Once that task was complete, a general straight up said to us, he's like, you guys are not going anywhere. He goes, I can't risk you guys getting brewed up, meaning like getting shot up and under contact and stuff like that. I can't have you guys getting brewed up for really no reason. He's like, so you guys are now basically confined to barracks. We went out to Tarnak Farms for range days and stuff like that. But like, other than that, like it was shut down. So we ended up doing other miscellaneous work like so since i was a signaler i got attached to the headquarters sigs for kandahar airfield calf and i was like it's like oh, 60 degrees man and i'm like in these sea containers like matching like all these wires now m imagine these wires full to the roof in this room and i have to match them it was ridiculous man i was like this job sucks yeah you know but like i still i did my best job. You I got I, some Burger King at least, right? Like, right. Yeah, Tim man. Tim Hortons, Kandahar Airfield's like a big I, city. I played in a band. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the best shape of my life. Played in a band, so I, I definitely, I, I made the best of that operation. But it wasn't like that first tour. Three hundred eight actually felt like an operational uh, tour, whereas like 
111 was it was really like the moment we hit the ground like we didn't even really climatize it was like go and then whereas like our first tour we had like a week to climatize not this time it was like go hit the ground running doing patrols hitting up all these fobs grabbing all the serialized kit and uh sea containers and shipping them back it was very high speed until that mission was done so before meaning like these fobs were getting closed down yeah and any canadian gear was getting pulled out of them that's right we're coming home uh, before we start our mission in Kandahar gearing kind of towards the end I wanted to you brought up Tarnat Farms um, what a crazy spot to be like when you sit there and you think of the history that's there and like are in on 308 do you remember like you still see bunkers actually let's like, oh, yeah. let's bring up even for veterans it's maybe a good thing to talk about the history of the farms because it yeah, I mean, that's, that's... There was a huge battle, like, right at the beginning of the yeah. war. Like, yeah, like, the, it was a strong point in order for them to secure Kandahar Airfield. Like, there was... I don't know how long the battle was, but, like, there was... Wasn't there, there a was big a battle going on. at 1.2? Wasn't there something that happened there? Well, there the was big, a friendly fire that was there. That, that was Fort Patricia's that got killed in the beginning uh 2002. And that was... was they did a lot of training there. So I remember... Yeah, I remember... I know for sure that there was a big battle there. And that's where the Taliban were staging and doing a lot of training and stuff. That and was their training ground. Yeah. yeah so and that's when camp... Or uh, camp... That's when Nathan Smith was... was killed. When he lost his life, yeah. So that... But I remember the first time that we went there and we were talking before we started recording. Um, that you go there and you do... That's where you go and bip stuff and blow in place and all the shit that we'd find on QRFs and whatnot. And then <clears throat> there's also like the range there and stuff too. Yep. But when you go there and I didn't realize it because a lot of the time you're just kind of do as you're told, not really taken in the moment. We're just corporals, man. We're mushrooms, man. Keep not us even in the dark. private. Oh yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Right. So it, like you're having to pick up the shell casings when you're done. No, no, no. It's not, it's not that it's that you, you we took up, you, you don't you're in the back of a lab and it's like okay we're here dismount this is what we're doing and you don't really all the time realize where you are like historically so like we brought up the jail and it wasn't until someone brought up hey this is where we're at that it clicks and you're like fuck this is where we're at and like Tarnak Farms was that for me it's like we get out and you don't really think about it because it's in the middle of the desert and there's like these like broken down little walls and shit but then someone's like this is Tarnat Farms. I've got photos of like, it almost looks like an apartment complex that looks like it had a rocket drop down the roof of it and people are still living in it. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. They're like drying their clothes off their balconies and stuff, but the place looks like it's been, like had a bomb dropped on it. It is crazy, man. And the one thing is, I got to say, like I tip my hat to that, you know, foreign nations, third world countries and stuff that they work with what they have, man. They are very resilient people, especially the Afghans. They're, they're brilliant. Yeah, I mean, so we talked about the EOD team too. Um, explosive, what, what's EOD stand for again? Explosive oh, now put me on this. Ex- explosive ordnance uh, Dis- disposal teams. Yeah, disposal, that's it. So yeah. <clears throat> we spoke with uh, our guys uh, and they were great, but I got to do some close protection for them. So if we were in like Kandahar City, that it's really tight areas. Didn't you bring a lawn chair out when you were doing security? Once did I do that? I think oh, you... I think we did do that a couple times. <laughs> Near the yeah, end of the man. tour. The yeah, game. we stopped giving a fuck for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it would like at first you're gung ho and you're like, get the spike strip out, get the cones oh, out, man. and then near the Carrying end, you're kind of like, yeah, give me that lawn chair. I'm gonna sit here and like, I'm gonna fuck with the kids for a bit. And... <laughs> so you got full ballistic plates on, sitting in a lawn chair. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I got I got pictures of I was me standing as... beside you. Like, I remember you pull out this lawn chair. You're like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> but you I'm... kept your boots bloused. Well, oh, I, yeah. So that, that's <laughs> looks a, good. You, you would, like, sit that's on hilarious. these cordons for a very long time. Sometimes hours just sitting there waiting. Oh, for sure. So, like, that's another thing that people don't realize is there's so many times that you're just sitting there and the feeling of, like, oh, we could get shot at any moment. And you're like, fuck it. If we get – I'm looking forward to it now. Like, something – at least something will happen. I can shoot yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, you get bored almost. And he's not exaggerating from the time frame because we had QRF go out, and this is when Dennis Brown was killed. Like, those guys were out there dealing with the EOD or the IED with the EOD teams, and they dealt with this bomb all day, like, throughout the entire day. So the sun's beating on them. The sun's finally down. Area's secure. Time to go back to camp. And then they got hit with a secondary, and that's when we lost three guys on that patrol i don't remember our our eod team yeah yeah so the uh the driver survived and i mean that the bison got peeled like a can um i'm not gonna go into details for the families obviously but yeah that was bad Um, it was a bad day man so they're out there all day now just think about it you're like okay finally it's secure i'm really looking forward to having a shower or something like that or just cleaning my kit or whatever get ready for the tomorrow's next day mission and stuff like that and then you're pulling off position, and I think it was like 150 meters down the road. They yeah, so what So secondary. what we were told uh, that they kind of did was set up a fake ID. Yeah. And so it's kind of one way in, one way out. It was a trap. Like, you're you're going through a funnel pretty much. So you're in a kill zone. Um, so what they figured happened was, and they're very smart. So you set up a fake ID. They And we'd always switch order of vehicles, so they watch. Like, we would do different techniques to avoid any purse mines and stuff like that but you always have to adapt because they're watching you and adapting as well so what they figured happened was they watched the patrol go in see the vehicle of who's uh dismantling this ied this fake one that they called in and set up and then on the way out they hit it because i think it was two vehicles rode over the ied and then the engineers were hit and then, unfortunately, while they were there, they couldn't get extracted. Yeah. Uh, and then they came under contact. And well. we got briefed in that area being like, there's nothing we can do. Because if we sent out, there was intel. If we sent out another QRF, our camp was going to get hit. So they had to be relieved by another call sign. That was yeah. a long night, man. So that is, uh, do you remember there was other times too where like it would be like, we all of a sudden in the middle of the night it would be like kaboom oh yeah and then it would be like it, it would be dark in the room and the guys would be like did you guys hear that yeah i heard that do you think we're going no i don't think we're going we didn't hear gunfire so then and then all of a sudden you'd hear another kaboom and then pop 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 pop, pop, pop. <laughs> and you're like all right i think we're going <laughs> and then all of a sudden the light goes on and it's like rolled out we're rolling let's go and then you go to get out to the labs put on all your gear you fucking slam down like six rippets which are like red bulls and you're like let's yeah, fucking man. go and then they'd be like all right well they've already taken care of it so you can go back to bed and you're like god damn it <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile your adrenaline's at 11 oh yeah, yeah. well yeah. the thing is is what blew me away is when i first got attached to these guys when i came home from new zealand this is my first real situation of being outside the wire in another forward operating base working with this reg force call sign and there's only me and another buddy that's reserves and the conditioning of what these guys have been through, okay, they just lost three of their good friends. And 
there was a situation where uh, Massim Guard, where we were staying, was starting to get hit by rockets. Uh, yeah, it happened all the I time. Was, and that's it. It happened all the time. These guys are watching a movie on their laptop. I'm already kitted up, and I'm looking at my sergeant like, where do you want me? Where do you? He's like, chill, Wardo, like, chill. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? I'm like, what the fuck, man? What do you mean, chill? Let's go. Like, yeah. And like, all of a sudden, the warrant's sitting there. He's got his arms crossed watching his movies. He's like, fuck. Start the cars. <laughs> yeah. You know, meaning yeah. the labs, right? Yeah. I said, start the cars. And then I'm kind of like, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why is nobody moving? These guys are so used to this environment. And I'm like, this is my first time being exposed to that. And I'm like, I'm like a, this little kid. Like, I'm like, where do I go? And the sergeant, we go around and we're kind of checking things out. And he's like, oh, like, chill, man. It's cool. Like, he's walking around with just his pistol. I'm, I'm like fully kitted up, ready for battle you know what i mean and then it finally got to a point where the warrant hits pause on his movies like fuck it everybody mount up let's get ready to go all of a sudden you hear the tanks just go boom 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 he goes fuck it hits play he's like we're not going nowhere <laughs> yeah and let's draw some light to that you're in you're in an area where that's where they've pulled in the leopards yeah, yeah. That's, they had them on the top of the mountain so to give like a background on what fob msg is like it's like on the side of a big ass mountain. Yeah. So you roll in, you go up where we were. Like I said, it was disconnected from that main camp though. So we would go up the mountain, back down into like a little hole. So yeah. like a ski resort, but kind of, yeah, exactly. It's so huge. at the at the top of it, where we would start to come back down, if you kept on going up, there was a leopard parked up there, and it was aimed towards I think Two Tank Hill. Yeah. And so what they would do, but this is the, the thing that would happen. Because uh, they always adapt. So they wouldn't sit there and set off a, it's something, a rocket to come in and hit the camp. They would get, say, two water bottles or pop bottles, and they put them together uh, so the caps were on top of each other with a small hole in it. And the big, the one full would go into the one that's empty. And when that's heavy enough, it would pull a string so they're not there. So they're remotely firing rockets. But wherever that came from, it doesn't matter if they're there or not. That leopard is fucking firing right back at it. Oh yeah. So they they like like you're saying like even their timing for their ordinance to go off, they would just scrape the desert with whatever they found. If it was Russian ordnance, artillery rounds, and stuff like that, and they would wire it up, daisy chain it, so that they can blow these things with indirect fire, right? Harassing fire, let's call it. And. They would even use like, you know, those kitchen timers that you just turn it to 15 minutes or something and then it dings when it... Like an egg when, timer? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would have it so that the fuse was set to that. So the moment she danged, she would, it would set the charges off and send these rockets who knows where. You know, they would do their best to place it. Like if it, there's a little bit of a dirt mound, cut some slots in, place it, kind of angle it and then walk away. And yeah. then 15 minutes later, that's their getaway. And it's just, they're just sending rockets hoping that they hit us. So our EOD team Crazy. was phenomenal. I got to go do the close protection stuff with them. Like in tight spaces, you'd have to walk in with them just in case someone jumped out and started firing at them kind of thing. And there were some different ones. They would actually take the time to explain how these guys set it up. And I can tell you that I'm not educated enough to figure out some of the shit that Johnny Taliban was fucking wiring together and the thought process put in behind it. Like some of them are, they're, they're warriors. Like, I, I got to say something too. When it comes to training in Canada or the U S I was like, look for combat indicators. The moment I stepped outside of the camp and like Kandahar city, I'm like, everything's a combat indicator. Like yeah. it, oh piles my God. of rocks on the road. Well, like they're, they're everywhere. And Yellow they wipe jumps. your ass with them. Like, uh, like th that's, 
And they like, would put bombs in donkeys' asses and blow them up, man. Like they're fucking creative. Well, you're highly motivated because yep. you don't have the budget of a first world country for your armor or like for what your mission is. Guerrilla and, warfare, man. They, I, like I said, I took my hat to it. Like that was the one thing I had a conversation with a, a special operations guy from the, the JTF. And we had this conversation about respecting your enemy. And I, I kind of described some of the stuff that we're talking about right now. And he, he didn't go into his stuff, but he just kind of, he was happy to know that I had that respect for them. And the fact that, you can't judge a book by its cover and you can't assume that people are weak just because they don't have money or food, you know what I mean? Or fresh water. These people did whatever, 100%. Like they did, they degraded us, man. Like near the end of our tour, we're doing like ramp ceremonies almost every week, man. It was, they demoralized us and they, they did what we're supposed to do is demoralize our enemies so that we can win the war, right? Well, they, no one really won the war, but I mean, like they they, they, they accomplished. They, yeah. they impacted our, our even our society now. If you think about I'll, it, I'll argue that war evolved in Afghanistan. Yep, I I will definitely agree with that. And there's books on it. Stanley McChrystal's writing about Team of Teams is about how the U.S. He admits to it. We're losing, and they had to change because you can't have that chain of command from the old style of war. Oh man, they adapt way quicker than we adapt. Like we go through all of these, like like we were talking about before, like the book, and that's where I say like the PPCLI are like they're soldiering. They all adapt. They don't care. They're not going. Okay, this is what we learned in Cold War. This is like how the fuck are we gonna defeat this? And they will just figure it out and go for it. That's oh, why yeah. they're like they're called cowboys. Like we call them cowboys. And to support, like, your chew book. tobacco and shoot guns. <laughs> you know, you, to support it, you read. You know, you read Contact Charlie, and you're like, hope after the end of it that he's lieutenant colonel. Well, he's getting shipped off to a, a a war university, or you know, it's a college in the states where you're learning the latest things. And you know, you're reading that as a private, going, well, what's that all about? And it's like, well, yeah, that's how they're always evolving, and that's why you, you need that constant evolution because back to the respect to the enemy they have to evolve or you're going to wipe them out and that's the one thing the one phrase that we stay and use more than anything in the infantry is adapt and overcome you have to you, whatever the we situation use it on our dictates, Facebook today. you know what i mean like yeah. Yeah, well right? I, that's something i say all the fucking time man that's stuck with me <laughs> absolutely situation dictates like it's it huge. and yeah. this crisis really showed it because absolutely every yeah. one of us that's got that had to go through that battle school you know, I made this joke. I had to, I'm hijacking your uh, podcast it. here, but send it. It was a good, <laughs> it was a, it was a little eye opening one for the civilians on it. It was, I just said, you know, the title of it is why you bought and hoarded toilet paper. And I didn't. And there's, you, you take it for granted, like the veterans sitting here that, and the ones listening to this, the, you are going to, that there's that famous quote where it says, you don't rise to the level of your hopes, but you fall to the level of your training. Absolutely. And that's what happened during this crisis is the average civilian out there went, what am I supposed to do right now? Everyone says, buy, pan buy toilet paper and panic. Where we're all sitting there going, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> all I did was made sure that there was water. <laughs> yeah, I made sure that there was water for my old lady and food in the fridge and the freezer because I had to take off up north. And I was just like, here's this stuff. If you have any other issues, let me know. Just in case we got separated, if this pandemic got worse. But I was just like, I'm not worried about toilet paper, man. I'm making sure that she has stuff that she has to stay indoors. Contingencies. She's good, yeah. I yeah. have definitely wiped my ass with my socks in the field. 
And I've used right. the sand traps too. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Oh man, I've used the side cargo pocket actually on my sergeant's <laughs> course. Not even kidding. It was great. Both of us, both of us having done recce courses. I mean, yeah. me being in a recce platoon when I was in, you're doing the, the advanced recce courses. Is the last thing you're booking or the last thing you're taking on that patrol is toilet paper. No, I always brought it, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, I always had it. It's always in my go bag. I never did advanced recce. I did my recce course and I've done a lot of like small teams uh, training. Unfortunately, I never got to deploy, deploy as recce or sniper or anything like that. But I'd like to say I have a lot of extensive training when it comes to working with small teams in uh, austere conditions. But yeah, and the toilet paper that we use is realistically the napkins from the rations. So like, yeah, that. it's re- <laughs> right. It's repurposing. So I always had toilet paper. So it was used on your face first as an app. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Right. It had wet naps in there. Yeah. Clean well, as a whistle. Get that backwards. Let's try and wrap this up so it's not too long. And then we're definitely going to have you back, Dave. Awesome. Man. There's more that we can definitely touch on. Uh, You've done really well with the Bushwicky apparel. Thank you. We'll, yeah, we never even brought that up, and I, I think yeah, that's something to quickly touch on about. Yeah, yeah, bring it, yeah. Let us know how you got into that and how that's going. Uh, and what it is? <laughs> what is it? That's this is a your great time to question. Pitch I know. To I'm all like, the oh, pressure is on. I'm like, yeah. I should have elevator this. pitch right now. Let's go yeah. get a picture of that hoodie. So Bushwicky, because I do come from reconnaissance and sniping backgrounds with the military. Um, I got to a point in my military career where I was just like, I wanted to do more. And I was just like, how can I do that? How can I motivate? How can I still be involved with the forces and whatnot, veterans as well? And I'm like, explain what a Wookiee is. I'll explain what a Bush Wookiee is. And I'll, let me tell you how I came up with and the let me name. get a picture of your hoodie so we can yeah. put it up on everything here. Right? Well, so, we behind the scenes here. Um, I wanted another word for sniper because my goal was actually to be a shooting coach. I was actually huge into shooting out West and I wanted to get into shooting and coaching and stuff like that. I'm so glad this firearms ban is on right now. I'm super thrilled <laughs> about it. Um, Can't be political. You're still yeah, in the military. Oops. Sorry. Um, is it okay if I say sorry? Very Canadian. Um, and I wanted to get into that, but it just wasn't steering in that direction. And I'm not going to give up on that dream. Like my goal is to definitely get to a place where I can actually set up a range and have a place where law enforcement and military can come and train. But I'm like, how do I even just start that? So I, I'm a bit of an artist. I've done tattoos on my buddies out West when we were like in the shacks and stuff like that. I wanted to be a tattoo artist. I was very inspired to do that. And then I ended up just turning my artwork into apparel. I just started selling that. But I was like, I need a name. So I'm like, what are other names for sniper? And I, someone look up Bushwookie in Urban Dictionary. I, you guys are going to love this, man. It's hilarious. Yeah, you know check, what a Wookiee is. Right? Yeah, but it's spelled differently. So I can't be hammered by Disney. So, But Bushwookie <laughs> in the Urban Dictionary, it's a gaming. It came from this gaming thing for snipers and video games. But I'm like, I'm, I'm a real sniper. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to take that. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not trademark. Now it is. Urban but, Dictionary, an annoying sniper in... Uh, FPS? So uh, firing position or uh, final position of shooting. Okay. That hides in bushes and do- doesn't do shit for his team. So you're a camper. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, right? Well, you know, so the gamer... Also that- an appropriate term for a lesbian, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I got to have this name, right? So... That's great. I thought it was hilarious. So realistically, the, the, the logo has a, a guy with a ghillie suit on in the mountains and stuff. And it's inspired from my years of service. And then I wanted to give back. So when I first started this, I just started selling shirts. I was putting all my money in, into it. I still am. And uh, 
I wanted to raise money for veteran charities. So last year I raised approximately $1,500 towards Wounded Warriors for uh, the PTSD service dog program. And I did another charity run where I raised, uh, is, we're not on fire, are we? Yeah. Are we good? Yeah. <laughs> we're downtown. That's yeah, exactly. Downtown Hamilton right there. Um, not more. And then I did other charity runs where I raised money for uh, Special Olympics as well. So that's what I want to do. I want to be more involved with community. I want to be more involved with veterans and stuff like that. Uh, coming up in November, I'm going to be doing Ruck for Remembrance in Hamilton. And we're going to be doing a 22-kilometer uh, Ruck March. Now, so with, with Wounded Warriors Canada? Yes. We're working on one for with Alt Medusa, or in remembrance of Alt Medusa with, through Wounded Warriors Canada with Chris Barkley. Cool. When are you doing it? Uh, we're going to be doing it in September because that's no when kidding. Medusa was. So. Beautiful. Anyways, I just want to throw that out there. That's it's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Right? It's amazing. So I, I think we can page. use the podcast maybe to get in our, and yeah, the platforms to get a little more attention yeah, to I, it. I agree. Yeah. Right? So I'm, I haven't been too diligent with that. I'm still kind of playing catch up with like just before I came here, I was pressing shirts and you know what I mean? Working on things, emails. I'm doing everything by myself, but I've had a lot of support from everybody across Canada. Everybody's on board. They see that I'm trying to do some really good things here. And once this pandemic lifts, then once the charity runs start opening, you're going to see more and more like Graham McDonald. He was uh, Mr. Everything on, uh, on Instagram. He was supposed to be here today, but he was with me on one of those uh, charity runs as a part of the Bushwookie team. And we plan on doing more of that. We want to give back. We want to represent. We want to lead by example. We want to inspire. And we also want to help others. Not too long ago, I had a, a young kid from uh, RCR Battalion call me up and he was like, hey, man, like, I just want to talk to you about long range shooting because I'm interested in that. And I FaceTimed him, sat there for an hour and a half just describing, you know, some of the basics if you want to get into recreational long range shooting. I want to be there for the guys and girls that are like, you know what I mean? Just to help them out with their careers and moving forward. That's that's what it's all about. Like if I'm done with my career, doesn't mean that I'm done with the army and everybody else that's still involved. I want to be involved with the veterans and current serving members and try to help. If I can help them out, then sure. If I can't, then I'll try to find someone who can help you in the right direction. And that's what there. our community is all about. Oh, I want to tell sure. you one thing that jumps out at me is I know, and I don't know if it's your number one platform, but for me is where I watch your stuff is on Instagram. Is that what you're Yeah. Finding? The Instagram is basically where I spend most of my attention. It basically goes from Instagram to Facebook. I, people send me messages on Facebook. So if I don't read your messages, I'm sorry. I don't really go on Facebook much. Hit me up on Instagram or. But we're the opposite. We're are, we're finding <laughs> Facebook has been on has been the one fifty eight. We're slowly. It take, it's harder to grow the Instagram page. I'd say more than Facebook. I think that's why. But I think really it, it leads more into what you have, which is your hoodies and your apparel and and things like that that show up nice on, on an Instagram media, where, yeah. where the, the podcast is more like a connection of, I guess. I could see the, Facebook being more interactive, I guess, for people who are interested in hearing what we have to say and wanting to comment and maybe pull some information from it or. I can I almost guarantee you right now that I'm going to get a message from someone that will either remember you from that. I still have on Facebook or something seriously from our tour or something like that. Uh, or I'll that get a message. An idiot. No, 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 no. I won't be that. Or, or I'll get when you're talking about shooting and stuff. I'm sure I'll get someone that'll be like, "Hey, I'd love to reach out to him." And, uh, but that's what this stuff's about too, and it's no different than what you're doing with your apparel. It's keeping that connection and that community together for sure. Wait, and to add to what Matt's saying, keep that coming. 
because I, I really think that's a big deal. I'm watching that happen, and and it's great, Matt. You you're doing great. Like you're interacting back and forth 100%. With, with everyone. I love what you're doing. This so, is Dave's thing here. Let's. Uh, no, I, yeah, yeah, well, Dave. it's kind of pulling it all back yeah, in. I'm like, taking these microphones with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think what it's getting into though is you know sometimes you're sitting there and you want to reach out and you don't know if you you should should do it it really helps like i i'm watching these comments come in back and forth and and you can really feel it so yeah uh, that's sure. what i think i wanted to add to it is if you're listening to this and you're like i know dave or i was on that tour something that you say on there or when you reach out to them it's going to connect and, and yeah answer some it's questions. cool not, not only is it helping connect everybody but it's also brought a lot of guests to us too like i mean yeah and like already. rehashing relationships like I remember, I think the last time we saw each other was at the Collins, maybe. I was probably shit-faced. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but then, like, we, we were Facebook friends, but then I deleted all my social media. I went through my own shit. Uh, rough time, obviously. And then uh, having different th avenues going on within the veteran communities ended up with us reconnecting, which is phenomenal. Which is and great, yeah. I, yeah it's this, I think this is a very unique time because if you think about it, like, in the States, when you're looking at all these veteran companies and stuff like that, even when I would train down in the States, they always got so much support from their their communities. Whereas I'm not saying that we don't get the support, but we don't get the support like they do. You yeah. know what I mean? But what I'm noticing these days is these veteran companies coming together, supporting each other, promoting each other, such as I never knew who Matt Hatter Industries was. I didn't know who Camara was and his training facility. And I didn't know anything about Millbrook or, you know, urban tactical like there's all these people and organizations um tactical beaver um uh corporal for life man i can't forget him he's like one of the founding guys mia he's a friend of mine out west like and like this is a guy out west that i managed to finally meet and we're, we're all coming together promoting each other helping each other make sure because we want to see our veterans succeed because the last thing we need is more homeless veterans, right? Like we have these creative minds, we're hard workers, Suicides. but, I was just and that's a that big that one too, man. I'm trying to prevent that. And that's like McMullen. He was my fire team partner. And I'm sorry, it's man. The, that's, yes. You knew James then too. He would have known James. I, if I saw his photo, then I probably yeah. know. I, I, I sent a picture to a friend of ours, uh, that I work with and I showed him a photo and he's like, Hey man, there's a lot of dead guys in that photo. I'm like, Holy, like, and a lot of it was suicide. Me personally, when I was in battalion, like I lost count of how many funerals I went to. Yeah. And that's a big thing that that's why I was the PTSD service dog program. I think it is a great program. Get soldiers a, a fuzzy. If I managed to get at least one soldier, a dog, like I would, I'm happy that I could contribute. Mad Hatter Industries, he's big in that. No quarter given. Like he's all about supporting veterans and uh, mental health and making sure guys are taken care of. And like that's what we need to do. We need to continue to do this. Working with wounded warriors and other organizations. The Legion's a big one. Getting back with the Legion, uh, I, they're doing great things. The the vet build where they're doing models and stuff like that. Like we need to. I believe that we should all become members of the Legion. Your first year is free, and become a member show up for buddy check coffee and see if you like it you know what i mean just show your support and let's let's bring these organizations back to us yeah. you know what i mean and then let's stand up for our communities and let's lead by example for sure that's gonna be a shirt i need to trademark that lead by example. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well thanks for uh spending some time with us we're gonna get you back on for sure Thank we'll you. send up some links for bush Wookie. Uh, hopefully you guys go out and check it out. Hopefully buy some apparel and yeah, support it's cool stuff. So yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Dave. All right. Thank you. Until yeah, next thanks time. For coming out. And before you hit the uh, end on that, make sure you uh, like, subscribe, and please leave reviews. Those leave 
especially if you're listening to this on uh, Apple Podcasts, <laughs> you know, it's beautiful. Yeah. I think we're up to 15 reviews and uh, we really, really appreciate it because I, I, I do go around on other podcasts and check to see how many reviews they have. And, and you guys are like the comments and the reviews, you're, you're really making it worthwhile to us because it's showing us like we're getting a whole lot out there. So yeah, for thanks. sure. Thank you again, guys. I just hope my mom doesn't hear the blow up doll story. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again for listening to the 158 podcast. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast as that helps us a lot and we appreciate it. Check out Bushwookie Apparel at bushwookie.ca And don't forget to check out the Helping Heroes Heal Foundation at helpingheroesheal.ca. Thanks again. Until next time.